So God, we, we cry out, holy, 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 that you are set apart, that you are unique, that you are above all other things, that you are supreme. So God, I pray that you will help us to be holy like you are holy. God, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you will speak to us, that you will, will uh, invade our hearts and transform us. That we can be drawn into a closer relationship with you because of, of the words that you are speaking to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last Sunday we were in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and we were looking at what James had to say about this challenging topic of favoritism, about this this idea of, of discriminating against others because of outward appearances. And the illustrations that were used there were, were very specific to, to showing favoritism to the rich as opposed to uh, reaching out to the poor. And James had some very strong words for us about how we treat the rich and how we treat the poor. And so as, as we go through uh, and continue on in James today, we're going to continue on in some of those same themes. As we look at James, he has some challenging things for us to look at. Jesus calls us into a life of loving God and loving others. And loving others is much more challenging than we would like to admit at times. We can't love others completely if we're biased against them. If we're looking at the outward appearances and we're making judgments against them, we can't truly love them. And so ultimately, the love and mercy we receive from Christ is what should be extended to others. That because we have received such love and, and thankfully we have not received that biased favoritism against us, we in turn extend that to others. And so last week during our offering, we talked some about our help chest ministry and talked about uh, how we as a congregation work to, to try to help others. The help chest includes our food pantry ministry. It includes rental assistance and, and paying of bills for both members and, and neighbors in need. It, it, it provides a helping hand for people who find themselves in a challenging situation. And so our help chest ministry serves uh, many people that, that come into our office every, every week uh, seeking help of some sort and being able to say yes to them because we have the money in the bank to say yes is such an incredible blessing to them and to us as a church. I've been in churches where the answer is always no. And so we can say yes and so in addition to our help chest ministry, there are lots of things that we're doing to help others that extend beyond ourselves outside of these walls. Globally, we, we support African Christian College. Uh, we started sending a team to Piedras Negras to work with them uh, once a year in the school that's there. Uh, we've also provided uh, gifts to things like Christian Relief Fund and the Schumanns that are working in Tanzania. We're able to do annual projects like Operation Christmas Child, where we're helping send gifts and, and messages of love and hope to children across the world. Locally, we support, uh, um, Ameri 
there's too many acronyms that I wrote out here. I've got to get to the right A. Albuquerque Christian Children's Home is, is, is a children's home here in Albuquerque, and now we, we've heard from uh, a testimony from Natalie a couple weeks ago about their call, her and Will, to be, child, uh, to be house parents there. Uh, the Christian Children's uh, so I can't get these. So I should have typed these out instead of just the acronyms. The Christian Student Center is another one where we, uh, where we work with uh, college students on campus. Ponderosa Christian Camp, those, those, those C's there, uh, where we have four weeks of summer camp every year for children and kids and teenagers to learn about the love of God. Uh, we also host Family Promise four times a year where, where families who are struggling with homelessness can come and have a place to sleep for a week here in our building. We, have, uh, we, we provide facilities for Albuquerque... <laughs> I've just like met Christian school, yes. We have Albuquerque Christian School that meets here, another acronym with the wrong A's and C's and S's. Um, there are different organizations that use our building every week for different kinds of meetings and sporting events and activities. Each Wednesday night, we provide a food for people. Uh, we provide a meal for uh, 60, 70, 80 people every Wednesday night, the majority of which are not members of this church that come in for a free meal every Wednesday night. Uh, each year, we provide a Thanksgiving meal to the community in the gym. We have a fall festival, we have an Easter egg hunt that are very intentionally designed to be for the neighborhood and not for us. We also have members who work in their own ministries. We have, we have members who are working with a peaceful habitation that, that work at, at helping women that are transitioning out of prison. We have the Kairos Prison Ministry. We have East Central Ministries, Albuquerque Rescue, Min Albuquerque Rescue Mission, and many others that you're involved in. And so as we are talking about helping others, putting our faith in action, there is so much good that is going on, so much that is happening. Each week we set aside 10% of our giving to help support these missions. And last week I felt called to say that we were going to take a step further and, and give 100% of what was given last week into that help chest to help people who were in need in this neighborhood. And so last week, despite uh, low attendance numbers because of the balloon fiesta and other things, despite a, a less than average attendance, we collected nearly $12,000. A good week is about nine or ten. And so we are engaging in being faithful and obedient to what God is calling us to do. There's great work going on here, and so this money is going to be deposited into the help chest and do great things for our members in need, our neighbors that are in need, especially as we go into this holiday season. And so great things will come from that. Having an entire week's giving is a challenge for me. It's a challenge to my faith uh, because the operating fund uh, needs that cash. <laughs> um, but God's going to provide, and he's going to be faithful, and we paid all of our bills this week. So, 
This week we're going to continue on in James chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 14. So let's read uh, James chapter 2, starting in verse 14 together. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions are working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in, the different direct, in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so we get to this section of Scripture that is incredibly challenging to interpret, for one, and even more challenging and difficult to apply. Of all the, the New Testament, this is one of the most difficult passages for us because we have this seeming contradiction. We see in Paul, in his writing in Romans, he says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So, so Paul says that you're justified by faith and not by works. And then James says in 2.24, you see that the person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And so we've got these two seemingly different viewpoints. Which is it? Is it faith or is it works? How are we justified? And, and so there is a lot that we can get into as we try to, to dissect this and look at this because they seem to be opposite. But James is not conflicting with Paul, as we'll see as we go through here. They really are saying the same thing, even though it doesn't appear that they're saying the same thing on the surface. They're saying the same thing, they're just coming at it from different vantage points. And so we're going to break this down a bit and see if we can find out what James is really saying to us. And more importantly, what is God saying to us now as we try to apply this to our own lives? So starting in verse 14, this 14 through 17 section, we've got this interrogation that starts to happen. And so he's asking questions of some fictional person that we don't really know. He asks, what good is it? He uses that phrase a couple times. What good is it? Or what benefit comes from someone who says that they have faith, but don't really do anything with that faith? What good is it? Does it do anything? if they don't have anything that goes with that faith. If there is an absence of good works, does it prove that there's an absence of faith? 
And so faith is mentioned here 16 times in James, 11 times are in this section right here, and eight times that he uses this word faith, it's in connection with a person without deeds. He's trying to make some sort of statement here. James talks about faith a lot, even though we talk about how James is about works. But he's really talking about faith, and what does faith mean, and how does it operate? What is real and true faith? And so James makes this connection here. He concludes that a person doesn't really have faith if they don't have the actions to accompany it, if they don't have those deeds. And so he has a conclusion here that's pretty strong. It's not just a, uh, yeah, it's a bad idea. He says faith that is not accompanied by action is dead. It's dead. It serves no purpose. It serves no good. It's worthless. A person may claim to have faith. A person may say that they believe, but is there evidence of that faith in their lives? It's possible to claim to have faith, to say that you believe something and not actually have it. I can say I have a million-dollar portfolio. I don't have it. I'm just, I'm, you're probably glad, right? They're like, what are you doing with that contribution? Um, and so I can say I have something, but that doesn't mean I actually have it, right? Because you have to look for the fruit of something. Look at what the fruit is. If, if I have true faith, what is the fruit that comes from that faith? Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. In, chapter, in, in Matthew chapter 7, he says, By their fruit you will recognize them. You'll know who the followers are. You'll know the people who believe in me because of the fruit. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And so we see here Jesus saying, if you want to find my followers, if you want to see the ones who really believe in me, look for the fruit. Because a bad tree is not going to bear good fruit. You're not going to see good coming from someone who doesn't really believe. And so even though we can't judge others by the outside and we don't know what's going on in the heart, what is on the outside can be evidence of what's going on on the inside. It doesn't tell the whole story. It can be true that someone does a lot of good works for the wrong motive. They look like it's good fruit, but there's something sick within them. But the opposite cannot be true. If you really do believe, if you really have faith, it will bear fruit in your actions. We look at a student, a student who doesn't go to class. Are they really a student? Or do they just say they're a student? Someone who says that they're a runner, but never goes running, are they really a runner? In our relationships with others, 
If you are in a marriage but do not show love, what is that marriage? We look at this and say, you can say one thing, but how you act is going to show what you really believe about yourself. If I actually go running, then I'm a runner, not just by the label and owning the right shoes. James gives his own example here, and it gets pretty extreme and gets pretty to the point. He says, imagine if there is a brother or sister that's in your midst, and that brother and sister does not have the essential clothing and the essential food that is necessary for life. And so we, as really churchy, faithful people, say, go in peace and be warm and well-fed. We say the pious thing to say, and there's no action that goes with it. There is not a faith that works. We do nothing in that. And so is that really faith? Do we really believe God is who he says he is? Do we really believe in what he's called us to? Do we really have faith if we don't take action? In verse 14, it says, Faith that's disassociated with works is useless. It cannot save. In verse 17, it's dead. In verse 20, it's ineffective. This faith, apart from action of some sort, it's not really faith. So if faith results in works, what are works? What is he calling us to? And so remember, James is Jewish, and he's speaking to a Jewish audience, the Messianic Jewish community that's been scattered, that are being persecuted. And so when he talks about works, he's talking about the works of the Torah, the works of the law, specifically works that we talked about last week in in earlier parts of this chapter. Jesus summarizes it as the greatest commandments. Love God and love others. And so James is saying, if you really do believe, if you have faith, then you will have a life that shows love of God and love of others. John talks about this in 1 John 3, 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is not unique to James. These acts of mercy are are not the means of our salvation. We are not saved because of our acts and our works. They're not what saves us, but they are necessary evidence of our salvation. James says that deeds are clearly a fruit of, that is produced by faith. Timothy Keller talks about acts of mercy in this way. Mercy of the full range of human needs is such an essential mark of a Christian that it can be used as a test of true faith. So it's a mark, it's a test. Mercy is not optional or an an addition to being a Christian. Rather, a life poured out in deeds of mercy is the sign of genuine faith. We talked last week about the mercy that we receive and how God transforms us through that mercy and we extend that mercy toward others. David Platt says the overflow of the Christian's heart is to serve and the Christian's external acts of mercy are clear evidence of the eternal mercy of God in his heart. 
So our acts of service, our works, our mercy towards others come out of an overflow of the mercy that's been given to us. Starting in verse 18, James starts to get into a little bit of a uh, an argument with this fictional person that he's, he's talking to. He asks the what good is it question, and then he gets into this rhetorical, imaginative debate with some unidentified person. So in verse 13, or verse 18, sorry, this is one of the most difficult New Testament passages to interpret because it really starts to get into the seemingly contradiction between what Paul is saying in Romans. So let's try to simplify it a little bit. Someone comes along to us and says, one has faith and one has works. So maybe you can have both separate from each other. As if to say the two can be separated, which is not really true. James responds saying, show me your faith apart from works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And so the language gets a bit confusing here. It starts going back and forth. But who is James talking to? We, we're not really sure here. What is the argument? What's the other side of it? Uh, there's a lot of guessing here. But when you're looking at the entire context of what James is saying here in chapter 2, uh, we're able to get a little bit of a clearer picture of what's going on. James seems to be arguing here that the faith and works cannot be separated, even though we think that they can be. A workless faith is not acceptable to God. It's impossible to have a saving faith and not have works. The two cannot be disassociated from one another. When Jesus is asked what is the greatest commandment, he summarizes it with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. James mentions that, right? You can say that God is the only God, but even the demons believe that, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so we have here this law that comes in, and, and, and it says it doesn't stop with just that first sentence that says the Lord our God is one. It's not just a confession of who he is. There's a next step to it. There's obedience in loving God because God is the one true God. We love him because of who he is. And to believe in who he is means that we have to love him. It draws us into a relationship with him. And at the same time, we're, we're called to love others because God loves us, because we have this relationship with him. We have to be obedient to him in loving our neighbors. So simply confessing that the Lord is God is not enough. It doesn't stop there. Faith is not simply an intellectual confession. Faith is not simply an emotional response. Faith involves willful obedience. As we think about our relationship with God and obedience, it's easy for us to get this crossed and mixed up because we come from a heritage that very much wants to earn our salvation by the good things that we do. That I've got to do more. I've got to work harder. Otherwise, God won't love me enough. But as we think about obedience, we have to have obedience in its proper place. We've got a diagram up here that, that talks about uh, this relationship with God. We've used this in our identity theft series. 
We know who God is. And because of our faith in God, because of us knowing Him, we receive a new identity. We receive a, a, a new label, a new title. We are sons and daughters of the King. We are heirs to the throne. We are new creations. We have a new identity in Christ because of who God is. And it's through that reality, because of that, that we are obedient to what God calls us to. And so works, deeds, actions come in this obedient category. We don't uh, do these good deeds to earn the relationship with God. The arrows aren't going in that direction. If I work hard enough, if I'm obedient enough, then God will look down on me in some way, in a positive way, and then he will have grace and mercy on me because I've done it right. That is not the gospel of Jesus. And that's not what James is saying. And certainly not what Paul is saying. That because of who God is, I'm made new. My identity comes from that. Not in what good things I do. It doesn't matter how much money I give, how many service projects I do, how many poor I help, how many sermons I preach. It does not matter what good I do. God is God no matter what. And my identity is not changed because of those good things. Who I am comes straight from God. But because of that reality, but because God is so good, because God is so merciful, because he forms us into something new, because we are transformed day by day into his likeness, it is because of that that we're called into a life of obedience. That we're called into this life of loving God and loving others. And so I don't do those things to get a, a pat on the back from God. I do those things because God is so incredible and has forgiven me of so much and has extended his mercy onto me and has given me incredible gifts. And it is because of that that I try my hardest to walk out in obedience to what he's called us to. And so James wraps up this section with two examples. He gives the story of Abraham, and he gives the story of Rahab. What an interesting pair to associate in one story, right? You've got Abraham, the one who is called out of his home to go be a people that will bless all generations. And you've got Rahab, this poor prostitute who's an outsider, not even a part of the people of God, who faithfully protects the spies that God has sent. These are people who have put their faith into action. They have, they have done good things because God has called them to it because of who God is. And so, what is your faith about? Is your faith about this intellectual understanding of who God is? Is that faith? 
Is faith about some emotional response that you feel when you're in some sort of worship environment or you're in some sort of prayer thing? Is, is, it, is it an emotional thing? And if I'm in the right emotion, then I've got a good relationship with God and the emotions aren't there, then my relationship with God is bad. What is your faith? Because we can see the fruit of your faith. What is the fruit of how you love God and how you love others? Because that is the test. That's the marker. That's the indicator of what you really believe about God. Do you believe that God created us in his image? He made us to be like him. He made us to be in relationship with him. And that relationship was broken by our own sinfulness, by our own weaknesses, by our own fallenness. But he wasn't going to stop there, that he was going to love us so much that he would send his son to die on a cross. A sacrifice that would bring us back into relationship with him that would form us into new creations, that would wash us clean of that sinfulness and that brokenness so that we can be back in a relationship with Him. Do you believe in that God? Or is your faith in something else? That's the God that we're called to serve. That's the God that we're called to love. And that's the God that calls us to show that same love to others. Let's be standing. We're going to spend some time in prayer. And, and this, is, this is a time where we can uh, come forward. If, we'll have shepherds down front, and, and you can come forward with your prayer concerns, with the things that you need. Uh, maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's relationship. There's a variety of things that we come into this place with. Seek out prayer for those things because we have a God who is powerful enough to do something in that situation. And so we want to call on God to act in those situations. Maybe you need to extend the gift of love to someone else by going and praying for them. You know what's going on in the lives of other people in this room. And we talked in our prayer series about how this intercessory prayer, the praying for others and over others, is the, is the most incredible gift of love that you can give. So go give that gift as we spend this time in prayer. Uh, whatever your, your need is, whatever your concern is, maybe you have not committed yourself and, and made a commitment of faith in God through Jesus. And you need to make that commitment publicly to this group for the first time. Come down and talk to me, and we want to make that happen today. But however you want to pray, whatever you want to pray, let's use this time during this next song as, and, and encourage one another, lift one another up, bear one another's burdens. Now, don't be afraid to ask for prayer. We're all weak. We've all been there. We're all broken. We've all had situations where we needed that prayer. So don't be afraid to ask for it. God, we lift this time up to you now. We pray that uh, you will come into this place 
um, and that we will, we will hear you, that we will, will know you. God, we lift our concerns up to you and, and pray that you will act in mighty ways. God, we give this time to you as a sacrifice now. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we continue this prayer. Amen.